As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. With four defeats in the opening seven games, Manchester United have endured their worst start to a Premier League campaign in 34 years. There it is. It is a memorable victory for Crystal Palace. Boos ring around Old Trafford. Last night in the Champions League, things went from bad to worse. Manchester United 2, Galatasaray 3. Unbelievable scenes in the Champions League. Marcus Rashford's work rate and decision-making has been questioned in recent weeks. The forward looks devoid of confidence and a shadow of the player who scored 30 goals last season. So can United get Rashford back to his best? And do they expect too much from him? I'm Ayoa Kimwilere. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Here's Ericsson, swept on first time, that's fantastic. Marcus Rashford's in, Bruno Fernandes up with him. Rashford tries to find him, oh he has to shoot surely. Dori defends him, the crowd go mad. That's up to, to, to Marcus and such moment and he, will, and he has to make the other decision and he has the capabilities to do the right thing. All right, let's get straight into this one. Joining me are The Athletics, Mark Critchley and also Andy Mitten as well. Data writer Mark Carey uh, has been crunching the numbers for us too, so we'll catch up with him a, a little later on. Andy, I, I looked at your socials. I know you were at that match. Um, let, let's talk about, I guess, um, a moment that was quite decisive, really, that one-on-one pass between Marcus Rashford and Bruno Fernandes. And obviously, Marcus Rashford isn't the issue with Manchester United in general. But does that moment sum up a lot of the conversation around Marcus Rashford right now? It was a fantastic counter-attack up until that that final ball. Old Trafford was roaring. Galatasaray were a very difficult opponent to play against. And you would expect a goal from that position with Marcus Rashford bearing down on goal. Rajmus Hoyland, who we'll talk about later, he bore down on goal and scored further on in the game. And while Bruno Fernandes was screaming for the pass, it was a poor pass. I think the defender should be complimented as well for getting back to, to win the ball. But where I was, I saw a camera cut to Eric Ten Hag's face and he knew that that should have been a goal. At the highest level, you've got to be scoring goals like that. And it is indicative of, of the mood, of the missed chances, of the lack of goals, of the lack of confidence. Marcus Rashford scored 30 goals last season. 
He's scored one in nine games so far this season. So people weren't stunned about it. I was speaking to a lot of fans before the game around Old Trafford and Marcus's name came up too many times for comfort. And trust me, it wasn't all positive. Do you reckon we expect him a little too much from Marcus Rashford, Mark? Because there's still another 10 players on that field as well, you know? That is true. But I think over the past three or four years, really, since he really started to um, play regularly and start regularly under under Solskjaer and become a main figure of the team, he's he's one of United's match winners, right? I think at the highest level, at the elite level, there's him and there's Bruno Fernandes. Those are the two that United turn to. You know, there's other players in the team with world-class reputations, but when it comes to actually winning games, they're the ones that United fans look to. He is a match winner. Like, like Andy said, 30 goals in all competitions last season, I think speaks for itself and that was obviously the finest individual year of his career really and I think we all saw the levels that he can reach I remember speaking to some people close to him around that time and they were saying this isn't you know him just in form this is who he is this is him playing without injury without the shoulder the back the ankle problems that he'd had over the previous years it's him playing with full confidence which he hadn't seen the previous season which had by no question being the worst of his career. You know, he looked a shell of the player that we know he can be then. And the contrast was so, was huge. And I don't think, look, there's a lot of attention on his form at the moment and a lot of um, scrutiny of his performances. I don't think we're at the same position we were in that season under Solskjaer and Ranić a couple of years ago. But it isn't clicking for him right now. And given the levels that he set last season, I think it's natural that fans will turn to him and will expect more from him. Andy, you're there nodding your head and I also wonder how much of a burden it is being a local lad, uh, especially a local lad that many United fans look to to find that United spirit, you know, especially when the team aren't, aren't playing so well. Fans are often harder on their own. The club are often harder on their own, but that's not been the case with Marcus in terms of financials. I remember players like David Beckham holding back on, should I ask for a new contract? And he was on a pittance at the time. Marcus's people have been very wise to getting the absolute maximum they can get for him, unafraid to link him to other clubs. And there was interest, you know, Barcelona have looked into him twice. And as Mark says, he is the talisman. He's one of the few players who you look to decide key games. He's done that in the past. But his entire United career has been punctuated by huge spells where it hasn't been working out for him. I can remember end of the 18-19 season speaking to someone who saw him every day and he just said, he's just really miserable and grumpy and not a happy person. Conversely, I spoke to Marcus in Perth at the start of last season and he was beaming because he'd had an injury-free full pre-season. So he almost knew that he was going to set off and do well last season. And he did right from the start. So it worries me a bit that that hasn't happened this season. In mitigation, he's playing in the opposite of a United under Ferguson structure. He's played under multiple managers. They've all wanted slightly different things from him. He's played in dressing rooms with multiple and not always positive influences, huge egos. And he's been rising up. He's still relatively young. And he's seen top dogs come in, take the mantle as the main man in, in the dressing room. 
And I don't think that's Marcus's natural personality to be the, the dominant alpha male within that, that dressing room. He talk about pressure. There was a time when his celebrity far superseded football, when he was on the cover of major American magazines and lauded for his efforts, especially during the pandemic. I think it got a bit too much for him, not in terms of the outcome, which I think was great, but in terms of what a human can take. And I know he's tried different things to get back on track. I know he's had people coaching him at various times. I know someone who spoke to him and said, well, what's your aim? And he said, to score 30 league goals. And he said, and what happens if you do that? And he said, Manchester United will be champions. I mean, he's a genuine fan who wants to be winning league titles with Manchester United. Instead, he's been sucked into this midden of managerial changes, instability, this huge cloud over the club with the Glazers owning the club. And that feeds through into everything which surrounds Manchester United. There's a lot of tension. Pressure is always going to come. And scrutiny comes with that as well. So every little aspect of your life, private and personal, is picked over. I actually think he's starting games really positively. If you look at the Brighton game, I was doing watching his stats and watching him closely. He had five shots on target. No other player came close to that. And he looks fit. I'm not saying he doesn't look fit. He runs at players, but he's bumbling into plays. He's not going past them with the ease that, that he was once doing. And I think confidence suffers a little bit because of that. And when you're playing in a losing team, that does you no good either. Luke Shaw was the player behind him and he's injured. Malassia was his second choice left back and he's injured. Diogo Delort would have switched to there but can't because Aramban Basaka's out. He's now got a central midfielder playing behind him who's being exploited by rivals. That doesn't make it any easier for the defensive side of Marcus's game, which is also an important part of his game. Yeah, for sure. I really want to go into sort of last season's Marcus. Marcus Rashford to this season's Marcus Rashford. Less games for sure, but a stark difference. But just a quick one on on what Andy was just saying there, Critch. I mean, there's a lot going on in this young man's life, um, as well as the football aspect of things. In this day and age, when we're talking about mental health, we're talking about, you know, players being mentally well. I mean, you, you know, we all remember the, the head point last season, the, uh, the celebration to say he was right there. We haven't seen so much of that this season. Um, can that be a massive factor in how he performs on that field? I think absolutely, as it can for any player. Um, and, you know, I think he would, as openly said before, that, you know, he wasn't having the best time of it two years ago. That that celebration, he, I, he never actually came forward and offered a, a on-the-record explanation for it. But from, <laughs> we all we all, I think it, everybody yeah. read into him from what, from what we were told as well. I mean, that was, that was essentially the, the crux of it, that he found that he was now in a place where he was focused basically and that he was um, totally concentrated on everything that he was doing on the pitch. Now, I don't really think that, um, I mean, it's for him to say whether whether that's changed and I wouldn't really want to speculate on that. I think um, mm. it doesn't, like, what Andy's saying there, it strikes me that, again, some of the reasons that people put forward in the past, like the injuries and fitness and, you know, whatever, like that sort of thing, it doesn't seem to be, the case at the moment it's more that I mean maybe we get into differences of opinion here I don't I don't think he's playing so badly that like it's it's of the same level as it was a couple of years ago and and 
that he's, you know, going to be left out of the team as he was back then. I mean, that was a time when even Ralph Rangnick was coming forward and openly, like, entertaining the idea that he might not play for the club. Even in case, suppose he and his, his agents or his family at one stage in the summer think about maybe going to another club, well, then he can do that, but in the summer... This is Marcus Rashford, you know, a kid that's come up through the academy that would be a symbol of Manchester United, the modern day Manchester United. And that idea was entertained. We're absolutely not at that stage, I don't think. And it'd be kind of, well, ridiculous to suggest so. But there's been so much debate recently about his own, like whether he's passing enough, whether he's finding teammates, whether he's looking for a shot. Andy mentioned all those shots against Brighton. I think that was the most, he took nine shots, which is the most any United player's taken since I think it was Latan in 2016 against Burnley or something without scoring. So he was desperately looking for that to just lift himself out of this form that day. And then you look at the two games that we've had this week, I think he had two shots against Palace and he did seem to me to be looking for players, looking for teammates a lot more. And then last night, I don't think he had any. And he, you know, he has that chance that we opened this section with where he's actively looking for a pass rather than just finishing the chance that's in front of him. So from the outside looking in, it speaks to somebody who's perhaps just letting some of the criticism, some of the noise creep into the play. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akinwalere. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Right, let, i tell you what, let, let's look into the numbers. Um, we talked about 30 goals last season. Um, hasn't hit the same sort of speed this season, but let's figure out what has actually changed. Here's our data expert, Mark Carey. Marcus Rashford hasn't quite hit the goal-scoring heights of last season so far this campaign. There is reason to suggest that he'll soon add to his tally of just one Premier League goal soon, but he might need to tweak a few things. Rashford's 17 Premier League goals last season matched a career best for him, but it's worth digging further into the numbers to look at how he got those goals. So in 2022-23, a non-penalty expected goals rate of 0.48 per 90 shows that Rashford was essentially getting into positions to score once every other game, which is pretty close to the rate that he actually scored at, at a per 90 basis. This season is a little lower with a non-penalty expected goals of 0.4 per 90. But the key issue is obviously the conversion of those chances with a current rate of just 0.15 goals per 90 not aligning with his expected goals. But you typically see players return to expectation with their goals and expected goals across the course of a season. So there's little reason to worry too much there. One reason for this lower goal scoring rate might actually be the quality of the shots that he's taking. So last season, Rashford had a 0.15 XG per shot, which essentially means that his average shot had a 15% chance of resulting in a goal. 
And so far this season, he's having more shots per game, but the quality of those chances are lower with an XG per shot of 0.1, meaning he's less likely to score on average with the opportunities that he has. So for example, he's yet to have a shot in the six yard box in his opening seven Premier League games this season. And I think his decision to play a, a weak square pass through to Bruno Fernandes against Galatasaray in the Champions League, rather than shoot himself when he was 1v1 with the goalkeeper, did show poor decision-making from Rashford on the night, but you've only scored one goal in all competitions so far this season, you can understand why. And I think it represents a lack of confidence, not only from Rashford, but a risk-averse approach from Manchester United in general at the moment as they look to get out of the rut that they are in in the opening weeks of the season. Andy, I just want to touch on what you were talking about in terms of, you know, the defensive aspect of his game. Even look, look at last night, um, you've got a player that should technically be a defensive midfielder playing uh, that sort of defensive position. And he, I mean, he was outed several times, Amrabat. Um, it's not his natural position. That can't help the game of a player who also wants to think about that overlapping run that someone like Luke Shaw offers you. And Marcus's game suffers because of that. I see what United are trying to do. The fullbacks push into midfield. They try and create overloads in the centre. That doesn't help Marcus either. Marcus will always be judged on his hard stats of how many goals he scored. That's how it is. By this time last year, he'd scored a winner at home to Liverpool. He'd scored twice against Arsenal. He were brilliant at Old Trafford. He scored the only goal at Southampton away. He was winning matches. He was making headlines. He was the star centre forward for Manchester United. But is he a centre forward? Actually, no, because he prefers to play on the left. But so does Jadon Sancho and so does Alejandro Garnacho. So does half of Manchester United's team. But Marcus plays there because as Jose Mourinho told me in December 16, he's the head of the talent coming through. He's the man who is the absolute real deal. Not the player who'll come through and play 5, 10, 15, 20 games, but the player who will play hundreds of games. And back to the point about fans being harder on their own, that, that is undoubtedly true. Because if you speak to people about Rashford in European football, and I do, he's seen as one of the top dogs. But he's not pushed on into being that, that Rooney class of player. There's someone who is winning trophies because the team he's playing in is not winning trophies. And that adds to his frustration as well. Now, he's been far more effective than Anthony Martial, than Jadon Sancho, than the other strikers. He's seen a lot of them come and go. And he might argue, why am I the one getting all the stick here? I'm actually the one who's turning up and playing every week. I'm not as concerned, and Critch touched on this, as, as I, I was when he went through that season where he scored five goals, when he just what you felt he just wanted out. He just didn't want to be there. I don't sense that now, partly because he's just signed a huge new contract. I genuinely think he respects Eric Ten Hag and what he's trying to do, even though at times, and it, especially against Galatasaray, United just look like a counter-attacking team. So it's reverting back to what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was doing. I don't think Marcus is an easy player to, to manage. It, this isn't the dressing room social convener. This is someone who can be inward looking at, at times, who can keep himself to himself, where his teammates try and figure out what is going on there. But when you're in a position that he's in, you are going to be scrutinised more than any other player. Well, 
with the exception perhaps of Andre Nana. <laughs> I, I'm actually optimistic for him. I, I, I think this is like the roughest point of the season, certainly under Eric Ten Hag. And it feels very doomsday at the moment, but I do actually like some of the positive signs I see between him and, and Rasmus Hoyland. I'm optimistic about the future of him as a Manchester United player as well. He's just going through a pretty rough time. Mm. I'm with you on that. I also wonder if some of the pressure on his shoulders is that, you know, other players like Kylian Mbappe, that's the standard, I guess, you people are looking for if you play in that sort of wide, sort of striking position. Mo Salah on the other side, you know what I mean? Like, that's insane competition. Is Marcus Rashford at that level? Um, well, as Andy said there, one thing that you'll find with the, the reputation that Rashford has, particularly in European football, it is at that level. It's, it genuinely is. I think we were in Munich recently um, to do the buying game. And um, I remember somebody telling me about how they travelled in. It might have even been you, Andy. I'm sorry if I'm forgetting it was you. <laughs> they travelled in on the Metro and, and the Bayern fans were just talking about Rashford for the whole journey because they were that concerned that he'd be able to hit them on the break. Um, Thomas Tuchel, who's obviously the Bayern manager, I don't think he mentioned it around the game, but in the past he's spoken so highly of Rashford to put him in that bracket. And this is a guy, I think at the time, the only speaking about him was, was working with Mbappe. Even like having covered... England before, what you'll find is that a lot of the players there will say, you know, they, they get asked that standard question, uh, who's the best player in training? You'd be, maybe you'd be surprised or not, but the amount of times that Rashford comes up in that as the answer to that question is extraordinary. And like, this is where, you know, you have real technical talents like Phil Foden or people like that. I always expect it's going to be those, those guys' names, but it's Rashford over and over again. So I think there's, um, maybe there's something that, we don't always see maybe there's a level that we don't always see but then i think we have seen that level as well when he's when, when he's truly at his best we know him to be one of the most devastating players particularly on the counter-attack that there is in european football um and i think uh, that's almost why you've seen certainly Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and now eric ten Hag as well trying to lean into um this kind of transitional style this very fast direct style because it suits the personnel that they've got more than anything else, it suits Marcus Rashford because he is one of the best in Europe at doing that. So can he, could he get to that level of an Mbappe, you know, whoever, that that real top elite? I think behind the scenes and, and in glimpses, we've seen that, but it's it's the consistency, I think. Look, one thing that's absolutely consistent with, with Rashford is that inconsistency over his career. He's such a form player. If you just think about the way that he even broke in and, and like broke onto the scene, you had the two goals against Michelin, you had the two against Arsenal, you had him scoring on his England debut. It was that run that just propelled him into a stratosphere that I don't know, even before that, I don't know if people thought he was quite going to get there. It really shot him up through the ranks. And then since then, we've seen that spurt after the World Cup last year. There was one, I remember in Solskjaer's first full season where he was basically carrying the team. He scored like 16 in 20 games. He has these runs and... <laughs> Then he has these other runs where it's a bit quieter. And I think that's where the position that we find ourselves at the minute in between in between one of those two. I think about the Arsenal game last season when they played Arsenal, Man United played Arsenal at home. And I mean, Rashford was devastating. Skinned Thomas Partey, scores an absolute banger. But then because it's so turbulent, just pass to Rashford. Is that becoming a bit too predictable? Teams are reading that? The players around him are not performing to, to their best levels either. New players are being integrated. It's basically the opposite of a Ferguson, 
side, which someone, and I spoke to Solshaw about this recently. Uh, he said he was just a little piece in this fully completed jigsaw where you go in and you can make mistakes. And it's the opposite for Marcus because these are all negative ingredients that are put into this big pot where the end result is what we're seeing. But he, he still does. He's still running at goal. He's still, even though he's not scoring, he's still making efforts on goal. But you can see him fading during the match. You're not surprised when he is brought off as he was against Galatasaray. Um, the fans also get frustrated. They start singing the name of Garnacho, for example. They want to look at a different option. They want to see who else can be a match winner. Okay, you've had your hour now. Nothing's really uh, quite happened. But again, I, I'm not too concerned about him. I think he's close to clicking. And as Critch said, none of us have heard anything about playing through, through injuries. In terms of his private life, it's been documented that he was happy when he was settled and he split from his long-term partner. Stuff like that you can't speculate too deeply into beyond the, the stuff that he's spoken about publicly. But footballers do have private lives as well. You know, they are entitled to, to feel open to, and to feel down and, and there can be conflicts within, within dressing rooms. Marcus has never been someone who I get information on as being a, a bad egg a bad leaker, a negative influence. You know, I, I got clear examples of some players and he's never really been one of them. I think he's broadly a, a popular player within the United dressing room. But when you sign the type of contract which he signed, it's a huge one. It's not quite the Mbappé level in terms of uh, the money, but he's one of the best played play footballers in the world. And with that comes expectation. And he knows that. And when you're scoring one goal and Haaland across the city scoring every week, then that just throws more focus into why you're not scoring. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. Manchester United player smiling and listening to the jeers from the Old Trafford crowd. It's, yeah, it's totally different, obviously, just from being in an area that's just 
local and I just know everyone to just a whole different country, different language, different culture. Me personally, I just wanted to try something totally different that I've never experienced before. And so far it's going well. Quitch, I'm going to come to you in just a sec, but I just want to stay with you on this question, Andy, because um, another player who made a return uh, to Old Trafford was Wolf Zaha last night, um, scored a goal. Um, Torrid time at Manchester United, um, I mean, two different managers. I think Ferguson brought him in and then obviously David Moyes took over, didn't seem to sort of hit the ground running. Um, lots of parallels, weirdly, in both their games, especially Zaha at Palace, that sort of creative and scoring burden sort of left to him. And when Zaha plays well, Palace usually play well. When Rashford plays well, Manchester United usually tend to play well. Um, I just want a bit of insight from you as to why it didn't work out for, for Zaha at, at Manchester United, because... Obviously, they're both playing very similar positions, but imagine Zaha and Rashford in either flank and then you've got this Hoyland beast in the middle. I mean, that, that, that's a juicy attacking lineup. It didn't work out for him, mainly because the man who brought him left before he arrived and David Moyes came in. And with respect to Wilfred Zaha, he was not his priority. Moyes' priority was winning football matches and making his best shot of retaining the championship. But I spoke to Ed Woodward at the start of that season and he said, the squad doesn't need much. I'll never forget the phrase, retooling. So he was happy. I was also speaking to David Moyes off the record, who was telling me the complete opposite of that in an alarming manner, which fans weren't seeing. Like, we're going to be lucky to finish top six because a lot of these players have completely gone. And his focus was on getting them big names playing, not arguing. And Wilfred Zaha was pushed to the side. He was also not the first Manchester United player to go back to London frequently, probably because he was homesick. That's where his life was. His friends were in South London. And we've seen that since with several other players. At least with Marcus, he's only ever going to be going back to Manchester because he's a local lad and that's where his network is. I think Wilfred Sahar himself admitted he was a bit homesick, he was a bit young, he was a bit immature. Clearly he was hugely talented. I went through a phase where you either you either um build from it or you die out from it. And me personally that I I was never gonna die out from it. So it built my character for me to just continue in my career because I was determined to not to not let my career die out because I went somewhere and it didn't work out. I was just determined to reach who I wanted to reach. And yeah, I'm here today, here. I remember seeing him, his first game was in, was in Bangkok and some people who were on the plane said, you know, he's like a little kid, he's, you know, he doesn't know anyone. But by the end of that trip, to be fair to him, they were saying the boy's become a bit of a man. He's enjoyed himself. We're, we're excited about seeing him this season. Unfortunately, the United train doesn't wait for anyone. It's not Crystal Palace where you can have five bad games and all the enthusiasm around Zaha, it dipped pretty quickly. And, and when he was moved on, United fans like, it just wasn't the biggest issue, unfortunately. And when I watched him play, when I watched him up against Diogo a lot, yeah, part of me did think <laughs> what might have been. But, you know, he's, he's been the main man for Crystal Palace and he's had a very successful career. But with respect, Crystal Palace are not Real Madrid or Barcelona. But, I mean, look, 
Kritch Galatasaray are a massive, massive club in Turkey, huge fan base. And he, and he's gone over there and he's, I think he's scored already. Um, his first assist in the Champions League and his first start in the Champions League and also scored in his second game. Uh, I mean, what could have been? He's stepping up to the mark. He's playing Champions League football. He's never done it before and it looks like he's shining. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the way that he took the goal last night, I thought... <laughs> Less said about United's defending the better, perhaps, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, Dallo, less said about Dallo. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. but again, like we we know Zaha's game, and that isn't one that I really expected. I didn't think it'd be a ball over the top, and him using his strength to to muscle out a fullback and basically get wasn't really a tapping, but so close to goal, just a you know. In the end, it was quite a simple finish. I think look, you could have questions about the way United defended that goal, certainly, but we don't have any questions about Zaha's quality, and um, he's always, you know, you can say that during his time at Palace, possibly signed the wrong contract at the wrong time, meant he got priced out of moves, would have been able to stay in the Premier League, would probably be at a top six club if things had gone differently, could have come back to United, <laughs> I don't know, maybe at some point. I don't know if that interest was ever really there though. But yeah, and, and then his story could have been very different. But I think now, look, it's at a late stage of his career, but he's, he's kind of reached the level that um, his talent belongs at because on his day and in the right system and against the right opposition really as well, I think he's, he is a devastating player in a, in a lot of the same ways that Rashford is. If you give him that space, he's going to punish you. And I think um, that's what United were guilty of last night. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's, let's try and start wrangling this down to uh, a, a positive. We like to do that with a podcast because uh, it can't all be doom and gloom for Manchester United. I, I just, I feel like every podcast is know, like, mate. what's going on with United? <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Do you know what? You touched on it though, Andy. Rasmus Hoyland, come on. When the team needed him to do something, he did it. The second goal in particular. You're seeing glimpses of a, a, a top, top striker here. We opened up with this, talking about Marcus running at goal and deciding not to shoot but pass. Rasmus ran at goal, decided not to pass but shoot. Nobody could keep up with him, to be fair, though. They so. couldn't. <laughs> they couldn't. I spoke to a lad who played in, in Italy and played against him the week that he signed. And he said, oh, a friend of mine is a defender at Atalanta. I said, well, ask him about Rasmus. And he messaged me back and said, absolute beast. Unstoppable in open spaces. Sanchez slips. Two on two. Hoyland's got Bruno Fernandes up there with him. Rasmus Hoyland in. Hoyland scores! I think he was right. <laughs> and that's someone who... who but I had to mark him every day. An international footballer who had to mark him every day. I also spoke to a sports director in Italy at a big club who said, give him time, be patient with him, but he's really, really good. His worry was that United had paid too much money for him, thus strengthening Atalanta, who were a rival to him. I thought, okay, that's a different perspective. <laughs> but I think he's Galatasaray was his high point on a low night since he joined United. I've been encouraged right since he came on against Arsenal away. I think he leads the line well, looks mature beyond his years. He looks confident. Um, he's fast as we've seen. That said, um, Harry Kane was the striker who Eric Ten Hag really wanted. Right at the start of the game yesterday, there was a lovely interchange with him and Marcus Rashford. More of them, please. That can help both of them. They both want it to work for each other. If there would have been 11 Hoylands out there, I don't think we'd be talking 
about a defeated Manchester United. He's one of the few bright spots at the moment. But could you see Harry Kane that doing that second goal? Like, I mean, Ali Kane is a very, very good striker. He's not the quickest. I mean, that's also what he offers Manchester United. That kind of beast mode, <laughs> I like to call it. And and and, but also with the finesse of the little dink as well. I mean, that 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 is lovely to see. Harry Kane is fantastic, brilliant at what he does. But Hoyland is a very different proposition as a player. Yeah, I think so. Um, he, I, so I did like a piece looking at his background and stuff and speaking to people who, one of his coaches from his youth club. And um, he mentioned how when he, when he was coming through, he actually didn't really stand out. Like he wasn't that strong. He wasn't that quick, which has totally baffled me because you know, looking at him and everything we've seen since, he's developed into somebody who has real rounded attributes in a lot of different ways that look I, I still think he's coming off a very like it's a, it's a base level like he's so young um the amount of football that he's actually played uh, in terms of competitive senior minutes in top leagues as well obviously he was at Copenhagen and Sturmgratz he's, he's gone to Atlanta last year he, was, he only really got into the team from about January onwards this is a guy who hasn't played a lot of football like in the top five leagues in the Champions League at this level but I think what you're seeing is that he's got all the raw materials to develop and continue this kind of rise that he's been on apparently since he was like five or six years old in his little youth team. Because one thing that's tracked throughout his career is that he's kept on improving. Andy's mentioned the one right at the start, the link up with Rashford. There was another one about half an hour in where I think he took down a ball from Anana and he just like his hold up play and his strength and his ability to tussle with defenders and then come away and still play the pass. And then he's still also got that speed that you saw on, this, on, the, on the second goal. Like that is a combination that whatever you want to talk about Harry Kane, look, Harry Kane, arguably one of the most complete strikers that centre forwards that there's been over the past decade, right? But he's not going to be one of the most complete forwards that there is over the next decade because of his age, because, you know, li limitations in his game that we've already seen, how he's changed his game over the last few years. So, I know a lot of people wanted Kane, but I think United always had to really go for, in my opinion, something that was a bit more future-proof. And look, Haaland isn't... Uh, sorry, Haaland is this living. <laughs> Don't Freudian, you dare. Freudian, Don't start that, Freudian. man. Don't, no, no, no. Don't start that. <laughs> I, I've got a couple of both, so those bound to happen at some point. <laughs> the two Nordic and, warriors, to call them, Haaland, Haaland. I'm not saying he's there yet. I'm not. I'm obviously not saying he's there yet in comparison to Haaland either. But uh, I've kind of lost my train of thought now. But I think that... <laughs> I think basically, look, he's not he's not a guarantee, but you can see those raw materials and those attributes that um, mean that he's so highly rated. Yeah, like Andy mentioned, there's concerns over the fee, there's concerns over his experience, but I think if there's one thing to come away with uh, as a positive over United's start to the season, then it's just how he's adapted and the character he's showing and the personality he's showing and his performances ultimately, they're all good things moving forward. Yeah, and Andy, quick one, he's bringing this back to Marcus Rashford. That link-up could be really interesting from what we saw last night, that little glimpse. Um, and also the pressure on your shoulders as well, Marcus, you know, having someone to have that interplay with. I mean, I can't really think of the, you know, that, who would you say Marcus Rashford's had the best interplay with as a striker? Uh, even last season, you know, this this could be a really wonderful thing for the future. I think the times when him and Bruno Fernandes have worked there's been times even when him and Anthony Martial have really looked on it. You know, Pre-season last year, uh, those two look frightening together. Um, Anthony Martial is injured all the time. Marcus Rashford isn't injured all of the time. 
maybe Marcus looks at Hoyland and thinks, this kid's a kid and looks completely unfazed by it all. Maybe I can learn something by that because he just looks like he's enjoying every minute, he's living his dream, and maybe he'll become more sceptical, cynical. You know, as Critch says, he's he's played like five games of football in his life. Maybe when he gets to his 100th, 200th game, that will change. We've spoke to each other, we've, we've um, done a lot of work off the pitch, probably like the coaching staff don't even know, because it's just between me and him, but you know, I just want to understand his game and he wants to understand my game as quickly as possible. And so far, I think it's it's been good. Hopefully, it'll get to the stage where you don't even have to look for him. You can just put it in an area and you know, we, we know that he's, he's in and around there and you know, he's a big, strong, physical lad and he's got good finishing ability. So when the, when the chances come to him, he'll, he'll, he'll score goals. I think them two could work together. I don't think it will always be this bad. I don't think that Eric Ten Hag's just become a bad manager. Injured players will come back. So while it's really gloomy at the moment and maybe um, decisive in terms of some of these defeats, you know, getting out this Champions League group stage um, looks a real tall order now. Not being in a title race again. You know, United have not been in a title race post-Ferguson. Looks equally uh, difficult. So the results are very damaging at the moment, but I, I still think that United will do what they did with Ten Hag last year, go on a run of games. I'm just sounding doubtful because I am doubtful. All right, Andy, let, let's do something positive. Talk of the Devils. When's the next one? We're meeting at Old Trafford on Thursday and uh, I'm going to try my best to find reasons to slate the others and bring a cheer <laughs> and smile to people because we're not getting it from watching the football at the moment. Someone did sneak me a picture of Laurie about 10 years ago, so I'm just saving that for when he gets a little bit too chirpy. I can pull that one out. Sorry, mate. <laughs> Appreciate it, gents. Thanks so much. Uh, don't forget, you can sign up to The Athletic today uh, and read more from these two, both Mark and Andy, for just £1 a month for 12 months at theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> You've been listening to The Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark, with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beal. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. The Athletic.